You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Too much expo. <laughs> That's what I always, uh, anytime I was cleaning a whiteboard and it was just running because I, I used too much expo. Hello and welcome to Too Much Exposition, the theater podcast about nothing. I'm your host, Gabriella Day. This is our co-host, Reeve Carney Stan, number one, Brendan Henderson. Brendan, hello. That joke was even funnier the second time. We, Wasn't uh, it? We, we, have, we have decided to re-record this because our first take was way too awkward. <laughs> uh, episode, episode one of the podcast is going really well. Brendan, you are the creator of the Wait in the Wings YouTube channel. I what am. is that? Who who are you? Give us a brief intro. Yeah, well, I'm Brendan. I'm with Wait in the Wings. As she said, this is our companion uh, sister podcast to our main series, which is Wait in the Wings. You can find us on YouTube at Wait in the Wings or on this podcast network as well. And what we do is we talk about theater history, we talk about the production history of shows, and it's basically just this really nerdy mini-documentary that uh, if you love theater history, even if you don't love theater history, and you just want to see some chaos, then I highly recommend listening to it. But if you're just finding this podcast first, then this might be a little bit confusing, and I invite you to go and listen to the newest episode of Season 3 which is now streaming. We had to restart because last time I said season two because I was so anxious. <laughs> you said that this is the sister podcast to the Wait in the Wings podcast, which make, made me think about our lives as an if-then situation. So if we have two podcasts and there's the Wait in the Wings podcast and the Too Much Exposition podcast, right. like which one is the Liz, which one is the Beth? Uh, the I totally, the Wait in the Wings main series would be the Beth because it's more, dis, it's more like distinguished and like puts was on Beth a face. Was Beth the serious one? She yeah. Was the, Beth, she was the busy yeah, business Beth woman. was the serious one because they're like, why okay. are you changing your name to such a boring name? And then Liz was like hip and trendy, which is what this podcast is. <laughs> this first episode is dedicated to Liz, the video editor of Wait in the Wings. Yeah. Um, um, Brendan, how are you? How are things? What's going on in your life? I'm good. My phone keeps uh, going off because I've got the Citizens app downloaded. Uh, and uh, anytime that, we're, that I get an update, I'm going to read it to you of what's going on in my neighborhood no, here in Philadelphia. Not. Um, no. Right now, we have a report of a woman with a hammer and a knife at a family dollar. <laughs> Ooh, keep so, me updated uh, on the. So I will. I'll keep you up to date on what's going on. But no, today's been today's been pretty good. It's a Saturday when we're recording this, yes. which I'm sorry to to break the uh, ruin your immersion. Whoever's listening to this, but I woke up at like I woke up at 8 a.m. and I was actually productive today because I knew we were gonna do this. I'm super proud of you, and we're here, and we're doing it. Yeah. I was going to make a joke that I'm moving tomorrow, so today is my last day where I currently live here in sunny San Diego, California, um, and there's a kind of a running bit in our lives that my office is in my closet, and so it's Gabby in the closet, so I was going to make a joke that this is the first and last time I'm recording in a closet, but that's not true because where I'm moving, 
I'm going to be recording podcasts also in my new closet. So. But that new closet has considerably more space. Uh, no, it's a, it's a smaller closet. My office will not be in there. I'll have a real proper huh. office in the kitchen instead of in the closet now. So I'm really moving up in the world. Wow. <laughs> so much more square footage. So much more square footage. Um, you got a driver's license? What's happening? How old are you? Aren't you a, didn't you drive across the country to Philadelphia? How I did. How do you not have a driver's license? I had to get a new driver's license because I had to transfer it over to uh, Pennsylvania. And it took you that long? Absolutely did. I was supposed <laughs> to get it done within 60 days, and I just kept forgetting. So I walked in it's and I like- acted like, it's been one week. Um. <laughs> <laughs> I wa- it's been 60 days. I walked yeah, in. Yeah. It's been like, it's been a solid 90. Okay, that's a lie. Uh, it's was, been like seven for, months. For legal purposes, it's been like 59 days. I acted like I, I was like, <laughs> I'm new to the area. Where's a good place to get food? <laughs> What's a way way? You sound too much like me, and I'm a little <laughs> offended by Well, I thought it was going to be like, because you have to realize, Utah DMVs are so different from Pennsylvania DMVs, because the Utah DMV is just like the gloomiest place in the world. Uh, you walk in, it takes you probably an hour to get seen, and then you get seen, and like they're just super miserable, which I mean, granted, I would hate to work in a DMV. Yeah, it would be the worst. But the Pennsylvania one was just like... And I was it was a new experience where they were greeting me with a smile and they were happy. And like there was a there was a guy like a cop, not just a guy with a gun, but a cop with a gun. <laughs> and he just looked like the happiest person ever. You're such a simp for uh, Philly, like to the degree to which you're like, I like the DMV. Now well, it was that so I unnatural because if you're thinking Philly, you're going to think that they're like angry. But they it was just the cheeriest DMV ever. They had really cool facts up on the up on the TV. Oh, God. The Motor Vehicle Network? Are you kidding? Oh, no. And the California DMVs, they run this advertisement for glamour plates that it's like someone proposing to his girlfriend, but like with a customized license plate, it's the stupidest thing in the world. Well, there's a new idea. What does does will you marry me? Does that fit on a license plate? Is my first question. I don't know. I don't know. Uh. Or they like go on the website and he's playing around with the ideas and it's like marry me, ha ha ha, he he he. It's it's really. (laughs) What if she says no? Then he has to drive around with those plates and it's just a constant reminder of the disappointment. Awk, super awk. So today what we're talking about is a nice retrospective on season three, episode one of Wait in the Wings, um, where we covered Hades Town. Um, so Wait in the Wings, sort of like Brennan was saying, covers pretty much the history of a show. And uh, as you may or may not know, dear listener, the road to get to Hades Town was a long and winding one. Um, so I have a challenge for you, Brendan. Are you ready? Oh, God. Yeah, I think so. You have... This is the secret surprise. You have 45 (laughs) seconds to give us the basic blocks of how Hades Town came to be. So I have to to condense a 23-page script into 45 seconds. Into 45 seconds. That's correct. I'm just saying, if you would like to hear the whole story, please watch the video. But for now, Yeah, we're going to give you a bite-sized one. You have 45 seconds. Are you ready? (laughs) I hope so. 
I've still got my whiteboard up with all the uh, all, <laughs> all the important blocks, but I should be able to do it. Let's go. Okay, take I'm a deep breath. I'm set. Okay, ready. <gasps> okay, go. All right, so it starts, and Aeneas Mitchell is like, "Hey, I have to get back to Virginia and my really hunky boyfriend." And then she's like, "Whoa, I just thought of a really cool line. Uh, uh, wait for me." And then you know, foreshadowing. Then she's like, "I'm gonna make this into a folk opera." And then she gets together with this friend named Ben who made puppets, and <laughs> they they make a community production in Vermont, and it's a huge hit. And then she's like, "Whoa, what do I need to do next? I'm gonna make it into a, into a concept album." Then they make a concept album. The concept album's great. Then they go to uh, uh, off Broadway, then they go to London, then they go to uh, then they're on Broadway, and there's a lot of conflict in between, and it's not that easy. But those are the basic. There's a van tour in there somewhere, and they had a school bus, and that's the story of Hades Town. Forty-four seconds. Forty-four exactly. seconds. <laughs> Let's go. I like it that a, it was thirty. I like that there was enough time to talk about Ben Matchstick's like radical puppet theater company, but and then it was just like, and then it went to Edmonton, and then it went to London, and then it went to Broadway. <laughs> and then it's just like, here's the timeline. If you want to find out what happened in between, then go and watch the video. Um, yes, Hades Town pretty much started as a concept <laughs> album, and its road from concept album to Broadway was very, very long and very, very winding. And you learned a lot about how they got there, and we had to cut a lot of it that information well, it was the, out of the like, script. Because Gabby, Gabby does the script editing, so she was pretty much along, you were along for the whole ride, where the script just kept getting longer and longer, and then... It was so long. And I mean, the, it's... The, it's the fitting. five people who entertain us on Twitter. That's all we talk about. Oh my god! <laughs> it's just yeah. How long? It was like I promise. Off. I promise it's coming. I I swear. <gasps> you can follow us on Twitter at Wait Wings. Um, <sighs> look at that seamless plug. Always be plugged. No, in. but it was just. It was just one of those things where it's like I feel like it's close to being done, but the script just kept going because I had no idea it was it was a thirteen year journey, which is what's nuts about it. Because you, you'd look at it on Broadway and you think, oh, okay, maybe, what, like five years max, maybe? But no, because it goes, it goes back to a completely just different time. <laughs> well, and I think knowing the background sort of of how Town came to be is just really nice because it's, it's not, by like every metric, it's really not a musical that should succeed on Broadway. Um and I guess it's impossible to say, you know, which Broadway musical is the best or the most successful. But Hades Town obviously really captivated people in a way that kind of nothing has in a really long time. Right. Um, and it's it's because it had such a long journeyed history, and it had so many iterations, and they had so many opportunities to fix problems that it really got right. there to fix problems and just to get that because that was thirteen years where it was just it was a thing. And so that's 13 years that they just kept picking up new people who became super fanatics. But a lot of right, it just went back to that concept album. That was the biggest thing for the whole show. And so what's nice now that the Wait in the Wings YouTube channel has over 30,000 subscribers is that to do research for these videos, you no longer have to just uh, devour the Internet. And you got to interview a lot of people who worked on the show to make right. this episode happen. Who did you talk to? I don't even remember anymore. It's been so long. God. Well, it was just, it was the first time using our new, like, method of trying to actually get people to do interviews, too. Mm -hmm. Which I think it was a little bit too successful, where you can get to the point <laughs> where you have, you know, so much about the show that you're like, I need to tell every single thing. Because everyone I interviewed for this 
was just so interesting. <laughs> and, and sadly, everything that's interesting can't stay. But that's why this podcast is here, so we can bring up those. Uh, so we can bring up those stories. But I interviewed Kimberly Maribel, who she understudied for one of the Fates. She was really big uh, on, uh, really big in for letting me know what it was like on Broadway and getting to the Broadway area. There was Jesse, cool. yeah, Jesse Shelton, who she was one of the original Fates, going all the way back to New York Theater Workshop, and she's mm-hmm. from uh, Thirty Six Questions which I interviewed her over the phone in a Walmart parking lot. <laughs> That's amazing. I'm a big 36 Questions, the podcast musical fan. Oh, my so God. I'm very yeah. jealous that you got that interview. <laughs> <laughs> I, like, just snuck it in there, too, of, like, can we just talk a little bit about 36 Questions? And I was like, so was this, like, before 36 Questions? And she's and we didn't, like, dive into 36 Questions, which I wish we yeah. had. But Jesse was a sweetheart. That was... That was a great interview <laughs> from, the, from the Walmart parking lot. From the um, Walmart parking lot. Of I course. got to interview David Newman, who was the choreographer. That one was a wild one to track down. Because that one took like three weeks to set up where it was just because, you know, the world is opening back up again. And so people are busy. But he was so sweet because he could have easily just said, hey, screw you, dude. Who are you? <laughs> I've got more important things. Who are you? <laughs> right, right. But, but he didn't. Everyone that you interviewed seemed to be really nice yeah, and really receptive yeah, to it. Right. And uh, last one was Ben Matchstick, who he was the original director back in Vermont. And he was he played a big role in teaming up with Aeneas to really come up with that sort of like 1930s factory style aesthetic and just that shoestring budget, that heart that really transferred over to Broadway. And that always stayed constant. His was, uh, I think that was one of the first interviews that we did. And that's, like, I always, when I went into this, I thought, oh, okay, Rachel Chafkin, it's Chafkin's project. But mm-hmm. really, it it's really Aeneas's. Like, just Aeneas. I reached out to Aeneas, and she was really sweet and said, hey, I'm sorry. I'm working on a new album, and I can't do it, but... I wish you all the best in the world. That was the same with Andre De Shields. No, I'm like we also almost like, got Andre De Shields. That was, which was close. Not we almost so. got we almost got Ava Noblezada. Like we got really close, but uh, you know, <laughs> you you can't get them all. Andre was f- fucking fantastic <laughs> with his response. Uh, it was like. Uh, his cup hath, hath, hath his cup hath runneth full is what the, <laughs> what the response said. <laughs> like, sorry, he's super busy. He's sorry. He has to, sorry, he has to do King Lear. Come uh, on, Ugh. Wh- get your priorities straight, Andre. Come on, Andre. <laughs> um, yeah, you interviewed a lot of people. I feel like your interviews with. Everyone really stood out. You and I got on a video call and had a meeting right after your meeting with Ben Matchstick. And right. I remember you being blown away after that one in particular, because I think it gave a lot of really good insight to where the show started. Right. And it just it, it it's just mind it's mind blowing because it's those things that this is why I try to get real interviews with people who have actually been involved with the show. Yeah, because it's going to be so much more beneficial than just hunting down some article on Google Mm because it's really great hearing the emotion in their voice as they speak because everyone who does a show, if it's great or if it's not, really cares about the show. And there's just something about that 
that is just really nice to hear. Uh, <laughs> Spo- spoiler alerts for our video. I mean, I yeah. guess every uh, yeah. I mean, here, I guess we kind of already talked about. We've it. Given you a warning. Go back. <laughs> I'm entering spoiler territory unashamedly. <laughs> This is mean? a spoiler got... alert for our YouTube video. I don't know what you mean. They got the 40-second rundown. Like, they should be it's caught up true. on everything they, that happened with this 13-year journey. <laughs> um, but I think also, like, while talking about Ben Matchstick um, and sort of where the album started, there was a lot of information in the original script sort of about folk music origins, right? Because right. that, since it was, you know, this whole thing was really just Anais Mitchell's baby, um, it's been what she's held on to for how many years? When it went to Broadway, it was like 13 years. So that's like a, that's a, it's a young adult at that point. Yeah, it's a young adult at that point. Um, but sort of like we talk about in the video, um, she really wanted to focus on folk music in her life generally because it was a really good way for her to um, share politically charged messages um, in right. a musical format. Uh, but you also, there's a whole section of folk music that we cut out of the script. How much of it right. do you want to dive into? We can, yeah, well, I mean, a lot of it was just, um, it was, because I put it in trying to set up the scene of the 1930s and how that, because that's really when it came to prominence, like became really popular because it was the 1930s and mm-hmm. everybody was suffering in the 1930s. <laughs> <laughs> and so it's like, give me this boxcar music because I'm sad. And hungry. <laughs> right. Which but, I just, it's ugh, its funny you say that. I can, I'll go on this tangent always and forever. I just, I think it's super important to discuss the historical context of any kind of art created, right? Because art does not exist in a bubble. Right. Folk music was not created in a bubble. And I think it's interesting that the resurgence of folk music um, that like happened in a time of recession um, and like right. the way that. Hades Town like exploded again during an economic recession and uh, well, like yeah. very wild political climate. Well, like just, like, like those... in the 1960s with civil rights, like the civil rights movement mm-hmm. really picking up steam and Vietnam, it came back there with like Bob Dylan. And yeah, it's, 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 yeah. It's nice to look at all of it on paper and to see those connections because art really truly does not exist in a bubble. And I no. think looking at theater from that perspective also. I mean, if we're talking about Broadway, right, it was like, it was after this time that like, um, you know, musicals really came to be because people just sort of needed fluff in their lives. But but that's a topic for another time. But let's see. We didn't cut that much out. We just cut out some of the specifics of... Uh... During this time, 2.5 million people left the Dust Bowl states, a region of land that was decimated by vicious dust storms and traveled west to hopefully find better lives in California. Sadly, upon reaching the Golden State, these refugees, or Okies as they would come to be known, were met with intense discrimination and forced to subject themselves to backbreaking labor for pitiful wages. And, you know, I really wanted to keep that in, but Mm -hmm. we didn't really need it. Right. Because I wanted to set up that. I wanted to use that image of the Okies and like people just being forced to work for literally nothing. But, you know, having that security of being able to eat and having a job. <laughs> yeah. Wait a second. This sounds, it sounds, this sounds very like 
This sounds like someone in the hit musical Hades Town reopening on Broadway in the fall of 2021. Right. If you got an American Express, you can get your tickets now. Oh, no. We are not sponsored by American Express. Do not give them the free <laughs> advertising. Also brought to you by Manscaped. <laughs> but, yeah, we had to... It, we still got the point across just with fewer words. I think that was the main thing of trying to, with this piece especially, was trying to figure mm -hmm. out how to get the point across with fewer words. Because I'm known to ramble. Uh, more matter, less art. Yes. <laughs> A new t-shirt. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's Shakespeare, my dude. <laughs> uh, Shake who? No, I, I will have you, like... If you're just listening to this now, I will have it be known that I do not. God, I hate Shakespeare. Uh, what? I will have you know that I was walking in, in Center City in Philly. I was walking past some museum and there was a statue that said all the world's a stage with a statue of William Shakespeare. And out loud, I looked at it and went, oh, fuck off. And oh then come walked on! Past it. This is this is exactly why we started a podcast. I have so I could speak for three hours about what you just said. I do not think uh, that everyone has to like Shakespeare, and I totally understand why people do not like Shakespeare because the way that it's taught in the world, um, especially in America, is like done really poorly. Because again, plays should be watched, not read. So I think reading plays in English classes is just really stupid. Um, there was also there was a point in the script where I tried to get you three times to talk about Shakespeare and you would not do it. <laughs> Why does Shakespeare need more exposure? Everyone well, it wasn't, knows Shakespeare. Well, I think it was an exposure for Shakespeare that I wanted. It was because there's wanted, a point like, in the video. You other people. Yeah. yeah, there's a point in the video where you talk about genius hotspots. Um, it's the sentence, right? That's the sentence right before. That's the leading in sentence. That's the leading sentence right before it. Uh -huh. And so you talk about the different hot spots of like, you know, genius artists that came to be. And I think that the English Renaissance was a really important one because it's... William Shakespeare was not the only person creating really good theater. Christopher Marlowe was also there. There's also other people there whose yeah. names I don't remember right now. I mean, I guess you could say Chaucer, but I don't really know if that was Canterbury Tales wasn't really a play. No. It's more of it was just a book written in iambic. Right, but also art was able to exist in that time because of the political climate. But anyways, I think that art inspires art. Well, next I time, bring that up in the note because I'm pretty sure you had something about mention Shakespeare in the note. <laughs> and I'm like, I will not. Um, you should just be able to assume at all times where my brain is going. <laughs> Oops. Um, but I think like it's really interesting too, sort of looking at where Broadway is right now, sort of in that same regard, right? Because like this was Rachel Chavkin's, was this her first Broadway production? Second. Second. Her second. Mm -hmm. Second. This was after Great Comet. This was after Great Comet, yeah. Because I'm like, yeah. if, if we look at it in that regard, it's like someone like a visionary like her, and she's a woman, which is wonderful <laughs> to actually see a woman directing a musical on Broadway. Who knew? It, yeah, that right. Was <laughs> such I didn't a challenging I, I never thing realized <laughs> like I never realized and this was like just you know, just blind uh ignorance slash what like male privilege i guess is what i would call it where i just like completely neglected that like the last what was the last female director we really talked about on the channel uh i want to say it was i want to say it was tina landau 
with SpongeBob. I think that was the last time. Wasn't that the first video? <laughs> that was like the that was like the fourth. It was like the fourth. It was like season one though, and that's a that's a that's a big fucking problem. It's hard because the systems aren't there to support them. So it's not like right. you're avoiding talking about the women directors. It's just that there's less of them because well, yeah. they're not. Yeah. Well, somebody brought that up. Like somebody brought that up on the Matilda video. They commented like it, it sucks that like you're only talking about male creators. And that's where it really clicked of like, holy shit, you're right. But then looking at the stats, especially for like Hadestown, Anais Mitchell, only the fourth woman in history to win best original score. In, in, like, something that's over 70 years? That's nuts. That's, that's absolutely nuts. ridiculous. It's, especially with, you know, Broadway reopening after being closed for all of this time. Um, and Hadestown is an interesting one as well, right? Because their band just released that statement to have, you know, very specific goals with diversity and inclusion, which I think is really great. And it's like, okay, so Hadestown's band... <laughs> made this announcement like who else has actually really done anything else everybody marched for this inclusive broadway and they want this inclusive broadway but what's really changing right and i think that's something that's just it's going to take time to see if it if anything changes which i don't see how it can't especially just because you're looking at the big hits and what's becoming a huge hit it, it's mm -hmm. not it's not american psycho where it's like three <laughs> straight jacked white dudes objectifying women it's, it's not that it's like it's the hamiltons it's the come from a ways it's the ones where and this is what we touched on in the video it's the you can draw in a bigger audience if you have people on stage that reflect <laughs> the people who are listening to the stuff and who want to be a part of it right and so if we're sort of looking at those genius hotspots, i think having people like rachel chavkin and anais mitchell sort of leading this charge on broadway right now with right. ladies town I am very, very interested to see what comes next, because now right. that it's been proven with a show like this, that something that's kind of weird can be very, very commercially viable on Broadway. A lot of other artists who normally wouldn't be given the chance to succeed in this medium or in this specific place in the world hopefully we'll have that chance now. Right. I'm hoping. I'm hoping that that's a thing. I'm hoping that more people can come to the challenge to try and, you know, be better than Chavkin, to try to, you know, direct better, write better music than Anais Mitchell, like create more interesting staging. I think that is such a wonderful challenge to have moving forward. Right. And I, uh, so I also talked to uh, Timothy Oliver Reed, who was the dance captain for Broadway. Um, for the Broadway for the Broadway version of Hades Town, so and, fun. The dancing in that show is delightful. <laughs> what's your favorite dance in it? <laughs> My favorite dance is all of the dances. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they have a small ensemble cast, and that whole ensemble right. cast is able to like with their bodies and their bodies alone, like entirely change the scene of no, what's right. happening and who they are. And I think that's amazing. That's one thing I wish I could have touched on more was the workers' chorus. Just because I know like, there's so many things we wanted to talk like, about. Oliver Reed just went like so in depth, and it was so cool to hear him talk about it. But he also is um, the founder of the Black Theater Coalition too, which that really picked up steam when you know COVID hit, and there weren't yeah like he was able to dedicate more of his time to that. And mm -hmm. what I really love about what he's doing over there is they're looking at not just more inclusivity 
on stage, but also behind the scenes, because that's another place where there's a huge gap. Right. um, And I need to find it on his website because I remember talking about it. So I learned when I was getting ready to set up the interview, I went in and I just looked around at uh, the Black Theater Coalition and black professionals in the theatrical workforce make up less than 1%. Oh my God. (laughs) Less than 1%. It's disgusting. (laughs) How is it that theater is supposed to be this like place of, like it's supposed to be the 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 beautiful collaboration, mm-hmm. and yet we have bullshit like that happening. Right. I think the picture, and it's nice. So many people are talking about that. So I know we're just two more people throwing our voices into the hat. But I think it's important still. I think theater itself and like Broadway really paints them, themselves as this very inclusive, very like happy family, world is good um, place. But it's. It's not. It's riddled with all of the same systemic it's issues still that like the rest of the world is. It's still like corporations behind it. Exactly. Which is a big problem. Exactly. I think there's a lot that we could talk about in future episodes sort of about right. how one actually gets a show on Broadway because it's um, a really wild ride. Um, right. And a lot of very specific things need to happen in order for that to happen. And for you to get a lot of those opportunities, you need to be coming from a place of privilege. So it's it's very right. closed off. It's very well, challenging. It, it, there was a really good article that I read on Broadway.com that was interviewing female directors on the heels of Hadestown mm-hmm. going to Broadway. They interviewed like Tina Landau. Um, they interviewed, um, oh my God, what was her name? Um, Kathleen Marshall from Susical, mm-hmm. which she also did other things, but I just remember her mainly from Susical. Of course, you, you oh Brendan Henderson, number you know, one Susical stand. That's how I should have introduced stand, you, right? <laughs> yeah, really though. Next week, um, and they inter- and they interviewed Chafkin, um, saying, "Why do you think it is that uh, like, and uh, me a white male? I'm going to tell you why white why women haven't been." getting on Broadway. why don't you why don't um, you explain that to me yeah let me mansplain it um, i would love to know but it's important because i'm just going to share what tina landau and rachel chafkin shared because it blew my mind that this is it's so dumb and it's so sexist mm-hmm. and i 110 percent can see that this is the reason of the reason that they don't want women directing shows is because of that like belief that women don't know how to handle money like handle large budgets. Oh, which I my mean, um, goodness gracious! I have a lot of feelings and thoughts about that. I think that was. I think that was. I think Landau was the one who said that, and I went, "That's nuts," but it doesn't sound too far off, which is depressing. Yeah, that's that's super depressing. I mean, obviously, I'm dedicating my life much more to theater now, but I've worked in many different industries all female dominated and all of my executives and all of my higher management have always been men like all my whole life that has always been the case it's so stupid because i mean think about like who has sunk all of these shows on broadway then (laughs) like if you think about it if you look at it the women are winning because they have so much more shelf life like spongebob like Lion King with Julie right. Taymor, even though right. I have feelings about Julie Taymor, it is still a bona fide smash. You've got Great Comet, which was a smash. <laughs> like, wh- what are we? It's ugh, it's so dumb. It's, it's so, so dumb. Dumb. That's so dumb. That's women can't else. handle money. Yeah, neither can Andrew Lloyd Webber. Like, 
He's going to come for us. Oh, no. Listen, no. Like, listen, we really need this giant suspension bridge for my for my train play. Listen, it's so the actors, then they're, they're not going to know how to roll a blade, but it's going to be fine. Don't worry about it. Don't. It's, it's fine. Right. We'll, no, we cannot use roller blades, only skates. <laughs> Anyway. I mean, even looking at it from not a place of Broadway, right? As we're recording this, um, the In the Heights movie is about to come out, which I'm really excited for, since it seems to be getting good feedback across the board. Um, and I just know, you know, living in San Diego, we have a fairly large community theater scene, and people have been doing things online and stuff because of COVID. But by the fall, you know. Things are going to be back in action for the most part. And so I know every community theater in town pretty soon is going to be doing In the Heights. And I know that, like, as a Latina woman, I'm like, cool, finally, I can audition for something where I'm not just, like, the sexy best friend. (laughs) Um, I can be any of the characters in this show, which is much more exciting. But I'm also going into that knowing 100% that even in my small unpaid community theater scene in San Diego like it's all white directors I've only worked for white directors I've only seen white directors at auditions and like that's it so it's like even though we're telling these inclusive stories on stage if they're not being like really produced um by people of color I it misses a lot of that nuance so it's it's an issue it's a big issue on Broadway but it's also like a really big issue in smaller theater scenes I would love to hear from people who live in different towns who seem to be doing it right because um here in southern california definitely we are not doing it right right and so sort of talking about that there was other stuff that we cut out of the script um the changing tide of broadway in the early yeah, 2000s I'm s- super bummed we had to cut this because i spent like two hours going down a 2000s rabbit hole which i mean it's good that i have the information now for later on i just watched the cnn documentary the 2000s I just got hooked. <laughs> um, do you want to, I mean, like, you could narrate it and we could put some music behind it or we could just read Ooh. through it. I'm like, we could have a, a An mini, exclusive deleted scene. An exclusive deleted scene. Or we could just like, kind of work through it. No, but the uh, the Changing Tide of Broadway one was, that was just setting the scene, which I think we'll explore more in our next episode. Mm-hmm. Um especially since it's more it's going back to that time but it was talking about uh do you, do we want to do a deleted scene we'll do music underneath it sure okay here we go deleted scene on broadway during this time the remnants of the 1980s mega musical could still be felt with the slick and flashy jukebox musical jersey boys leading the charge at the 60th annual tony awards not to mention many of the shows from the 80s were still running strong with Phantom of the Opera becoming the longest-running Broadway musical ever, beating out Cats. But underneath, Broadway in America as a whole was reaching a conflicting impasse. After the terror attacks of 9-11, New York and America was left vulnerable and filled with anxiety. The innocence of the 80s and 90s had been stripped away, and as a result, the music scene started to change. The rock bands of Brooklyn that had been bubbling under the surface started to come to prominence, with bands like The Strokes, TV on the Radio, and Karen O helping to make counterculture and indie rock become less of a genre and more of a scene. A scene based in looking forward with optimism, but not in a way that denied the reality and loss of innocence that came to the times. 
By the early to mid-2000s, this style started to rear its head on Broadway, with shows becoming less focused on flashy special effects and more on raw stories presented in an authentic, stripped-back way. Why can't I nail it like that when I'm actually recording the audio? I don't know. Maybe it's when I'm, I'm actually here, recording. There's, maybe there's added pressure. When I'm actually recording it, it would have been like on Broadway during the time. Fuck. That, that was a good. Well, it's hard when you get in your own head and you're just recording something because you're like, I suck. I right. suck. I suck. I suck. Right. I, I really that. wish I I I would love to just save the stuff that I cut out because mm -hmm. it's always just it's always like uh, it's nonsense. It, it would be like, but underneath, Broadway and... Fuck! <laughs> but underneath, because I remember I saw this interview with, what's his name, Aaron Eckhart. He played Harvey Dent in The Dark Knight. Uh-huh, oh God. <laughs> and I remember he was doing this, he did this interview on Regis and Kelly, and they were saying, like, how does it seem like you get your shots done, like, always right the first time? And he says, it's because when I mess up, I'll just drop a vulgarity, so then they have to cut it out. <laughs> so he'd be like, uh, the dawn is always fucking shit. And then like go back and they'd have to cut it out. I love so that. Anytime that happens, I always just think of Aaron Eckhart just cussing <laughs> to get him to stop. Because it's right. You can't use the shot if you just drop an F-bomb. No. Nope. Or he would just do it completely straight of like, it's always dark as fuck before the dawn. Damn it. <laughs> just like that. I so love that. Like I'm happy for him. I'm super uh -huh. happy for him. But yeah, Broadway was changing in the early 2000s, and a lot of it just came back to uh, America really changed as a whole after 2001, like, you know, understandably. Understandably, it super did. And I think there's a lot of that that we'll be talking about. Sort of the exciting thing about what we're doing for season three, um, I'm really happy because you had sort of an idea for what you wanted to do with season three. And then I said I really wanted to make the argument for uh, the Broadway renaissance that I think was happening uh, before COVID hit. And there, we'll find out what happens, you know, as Broadway <laughs> reopens, which like the English renaissance that was also cut off by the plague. I'm just there's interesting parallels there. All right. They didn't have but they didn't have TikTok. Oh, you're right. Then, but they didn't so... have TikTok. But the extended argument sort of that we're making for this season is that there was a very, very strong Broadway renaissance because I think without a doubt there was, particularly when looking at musical theater. And there's a certain amount of episodes that we're covering uh, on the channel and in the Wait in the Wings podcast. But for all the shows that we do not have time to cover, we will be talking about here on Ye Podcast. So I think yeah. it's interesting. We were just talking about the early 2000s and like things kind of being stripped back because I immediately was like, oh, Legally Blonde, which is like definitely not right. stripped back. <laughs> um, but for me, at least, was a really big. I think that's like it's an interesting point if we're looking at how Broadway got to where it is because it was, you know, streamed on MTV. Right. There was a rebirth of theater because it rebirthed with technology. And I think that's like a really important thing to look at. Right. And that kind of gets touched on in Beetlejuice, too. The mm -hmm. Beetlejuice video of how TikTok is what literally saved that show. Yeah. I mean, if you're if you're interested, I would love to talk about Beetlejuice um, again from a different perspective, obviously not just covering the history of it, because I think the fan response to Beetlejuice was a really, really big deal. And it's just 
oh, it's so sad that it's not coming back. <laughs> it was just like, yeah, I keep waiting for them to announce that it's just yeah. moved to a different theater because I'm closer now and I just want to go and mm-hmm. just rock out to Dead Mom. Mm-hmm. <laughs> My top Spotify playlist song of 2019. Um, I can't l- hear Dead Mom without thinking about you, which sucks. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so sorry you have to go through that. Um, it's really, it's really challenging. Um, so yeah, there's <laughs> other shows that I want to talk about. I mean, there's Beetlejuice. I, there's Heather's, which I think is interesting because if it wasn't uh-huh. for bootlegs, Heather's wouldn't have become what it was. And I think, like right. me during COVID, I've always been very anti-bootleg, but with the times changing, um... I've gotten a much more nuanced opinion on it. We have a lot of things that we would like to discuss about. (laughs) Accessibility in theater and what that really means. Right. I'll just say it now. Only way you get rid of bootlegs is by getting getting it out there. I would have paid so much money to watch pro shots of any of the shows that I watched bootlegs of. I'm like, I was not making a lot of money during COVID, but I would happily throw that money towards truly enjoying something right. and supporting artists i just Which that'll be that'll be an episode down the road before we go off on this so well i just i can't i just have so many feelings do you remember during the prom when i like drunk texted kevin chamberlain oh yes said, we had a hey, great job <laughs> on ratatouille and in the prom <laughs> like <laughs> Uh, Brendan has Kevin Chamberlain's phone number, and he should really delete it from his phone. And then Kevin just writes back, thanks. Who is this? Who is this? (laughs) Why are you texting me at midnight? And then he sent me a really sweet email saying, hey, come check me out on, uh, I'd love for you to watch Stars in the House. And it was great. So great. Thanks, Kevin Chamberlain. Best friends with Kevin Chamberlain. (laughs) You heard it here first. Close personal friends with Kevin Chamberlain. So anyways, speaking of Kevin Chamberlain, uh, Town had a real narrative problem with Orpheus. <laughs> <laughs> that was the that was a very large jump, but I think it was pretty seamless. <laughs> and that is absolutely staying in. <laughs> Why, yes, Gabby, it did have a narrative problem. Um, our boy, what? our our favorite sad boy, John Mayer type, uh, Orpheus, um, <laughs> had a lot of narrative issues, which I think is really funny. Let's talk about right. it. Right. Well, I think it totally makes sense. Well, that, it does. And it's like, if you look at it. there's just, we'll keep going. It's like, who is this guy who's like, I'm going to change the world. La, 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 la. It's like, shut up, dude. Like, his first line shut is, up. His first line is. The man who's going to marry you. Uh, it's like, I hate you. Um, <laughs> I love Orpheus. I'm a simp for Orpheus. Sorry, right. is, is this the point in the podcast where we talk about how two people going through independent breakups had to talk about Hades Town for two and a half months? Because that was an experience. Yeah, fun. Super fun. Really fun. Really fun time. That was super emotionally not draining at all. I remember Gabby texting me when I was walking through a Walmart. About like because she had just watched it and <laughs> she was like it's just so nice and so lovely and I just remembered saying just remember this is a made up story these characters do not exist I think but here's the thing here's <laughs> the a fantasy here's the thing about it like Orpheus and Eurydice it's like it's like a Disney movie right they see each other and they fall in love it's not that big of a deal the reason you believe it 
isn't because of the story. The reason you believe it is because the music is like so right. emotional. And I think the acting between the two of them was just so delightful that it's like you don't need the drawn out plot of like why they're in love and how they fell in love. It's just you see them and like right. tru- deeply, truly. I'm just like I, I hear it in their voices and I see it in their bodies. Like these are two right. people who love one another. And like, that's the part that's heartbreaking. So I know they're, I know they're fictional characters, but the love felt so real. Real. It's something you can connect to. And I totally get that. And like, it's thanks Aeneas for that folk music. Well done. (laughs) You really made the, the origins of everything. I think really made, really made the emotional beat stand out. Right. But that was something that, there was something that they really had to work on with them too, because that was with New York theater workshop. That was the biggest problem was we don't know why these two love each other mm-hmm. and they could have gone off on this whole, like just the entire first act is dedicated to them meeting or something like that. Um, but when oh, God, they, can you oh, imagine? They, oh my God. <laughs> uh, all, <laughs> it's just a shield. That would have sucked. <laughs> God, it would have been horrible. Three act play. Um, but that, Everyone would always ask Aeneas in workshops, why did these, why did they love each other? And she said, it's because they say each other's names. Like, I don't get what the problem is. It's because she's Eurydice and he's Orpheus. And they're like, that, that doesn't work. <laughs> like, she's like, of, of course they love each other. It just works. Right. They're just. It's, it's because she's, or- she, <laughs> he's Orpheus, she's Eurydice. There we go. But uh, they fixed it by. They fixed it by adding in that line of about them, like it was written in the stars and that they were destined to be together, which mm-hmm. just one line. Okay, I believe it. It's yeah. like set those rules for what your universe is. Exactly. And I'll, I'll believe it. Exactly. Like yeah. that, 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 those are the rules of the universe. And like, because everything else made it so convincing, like I didn't question it. I'm like, oh, they love each other. Right. It's cool. I'm, I'm here for it. I'm happy for them. Right. <laughs> well, it's I'm also that like you. Orpheus was kind of like, arrogant before right whereas now he is sort of like soft it was like he was a total dick yeah (laughs) it was just it it was it was the rigors of theatrical storytelling that Aeneas had to go through because when you're listening to it as music you're willing to zone out and let the narrative take over like Mm -hmm. you're not really that concerned with the story because you're like oh this sounds nice yeah but as soon as you actually have to tell us like be around this character for more than like three minutes then it becomes tricky no, I think it's interesting, too, because before Reeve Carney was Orpheus, it was, what's his name? Damon Duano. Am I pronouncing that Damon right? Damon Dono. Damon Dono, who was really Orpheus for most of its, like, big workshops. And I think it's really funny that after Hadestown, he went to go be Curly in Oklahoma. Because right? it's like, I can see how that dickish energy that was maybe in Orpheus, like, really lended itself well to right. Oklahoma. But why that, like, ultimately was taken out of... Um, Hades Town, and it's funny because I kept I looked up images of Damon Dono in Hades Town, and I was like, these are just photos of Oklahoma. That's so they funny. Weren't. It was that is so weren't. funny. It's like, why is it just all Oklahoma photos? <laughs> Oklahoma's not reopening, is it? No, that show had closed. No, yeah. Right. I'm like, that's what I wouldn't mind seeing with you. Oh yeah, <laughs> I would go to that I would, would travel. To I would Philly just be to so curious that. to see. How dark it is. And, uh, like, no one can do a bootleg. There's one bootleg, but they're holding on to it. They're not selling it for cheap. (laughs) 
Because it was, they kept the thing lit the whole time. Because it's like, you're in Oklahoma, the sun's always shining here. Har, har, har. It's a choice. Like, they made a, they right. made a stylistic choice with their theater, which I respect. Because Hades Town did the same thing, right? It's theater, not necess- not really in the round, but it's close. For Broadway, that's as close as they'll get to theater in the round. <laughs> But it's a good it's a good point about like that energy did transfer over. And it's like we talked about in the video where he literally thinks he can change the world with a song. How how isn't it's that fine line of like cocky and confident that everybody tries to walk. Right. Right. Because <laughs> it's like it's yeah. So how wasn't he gonna be a dick? Like Right, but I mean like they, they faced right. it really well and I think the way that they chose to end, um, Hades Town is also really nice. We talk a lot about the turn, so I don't want to get into that. But I think the fact that the story ends in a really bring it cyclical... up—it's the spoiler talk. No, this I mean, the, uh... I I think I think we have nothing more to say than what we've already said on the turn. Right. I think what's more interesting right. is that after the heartbreaking moment of the turn, the story just restarts. I think it's really beautiful that it's a cyclical story. Right. Um, because, you know, like the stage has lots of cyclical things on it. And obviously this is a story. that So many been... circles. So many circles. <laughs> what did your theater education give you? <laughs> <laughs> there were... Town has pretty circles. There are a lot of circles on the stage. I... It's like poetry. It rhymes. <laughs> it's crazy. It's just it's crazy. I loved diving into them staging the turn because... When I was interviewing mm-hmm. David, I got that from David Newman, the choreographer. Oh, and he just cool. like glanced over it. He's like, yeah, that's how we fixed the turn. But when we got to Broadway, I was like, wait, 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 wait. Tell me more about the turn. And then that went on like a like a 15 minute tangent. And I was just, it, I've got it saved because I have it for my notes. I want to talk to him about if I could share that with somebody because it is just so powerful how he describes it. And it's really like what you get in the video is just scraping the surface of what their psychology was going into it. Mm-hmm. It was so interesting to hear him talk about everything that's going on. Well, that's another thing. Cause I like to think about the future of these shows when they're done with Broadway. Hades town will hopefully have a long successful history on or career on Broadway. But it's like, when I think about how will like regional theater stage this, you know, five years from now, 10 years from now, when they have the rights, I'm like so curious. I would love to see this show and how it's done and how different people right. choose to interpret it because that's right. like such a pivotal moment. Uh, the way they did it was perfect, but yeah. Well, yeah, having having it be having it be out of everybody's control where she just sinks into the ground, it just fucking hurts even more. It's amazing, but most theaters do not have that elaborate of a trapdoor system. <laughs> so. I mean, it could probably be... Uh, be really dangerous but you could do a trap door uh open up the trap door you have two people down there and they're just holding up the feet and then they slowly lower her down and then one night somebody's like somebody gets sore armed and then she drops and then jess and andrew from musicals with cheese have a new theater fail there you go i thought it would be like interesting (laughs) staging if like the like workers ensemble came and just stole her away i thought that would be a really interesting staging piece as well if you need her to not have any agency over the situation that could be that could be interesting even if you need to just like turn the light off slowly i mean i guess that would work have a creepy crawly come out Hunky organic farmer. Hunky Noah organic Han farmer. Noah, out. Noah Hahn. Uh, <laughs> Anais Mitchell's husband, who was referred to as Hunky organic farmer in the script, and then Brendan. And cut, musician. 
Brendan cut that without telling me, and I'm really bummed about it, but it's How would it have fit when it's, like, this beautiful violin music underneath it, and we're about to talk about how she's so alone, and it's, like, a serious moment, and then it's just, she was ready to get back to the Langdon Street Cafe, and it's hunky, organic, hunky, vegetable farmer. Hunky, organic, musician farmer, Noah Hahn. A musician farmer. He farms a, musicians. He farms musicians. This is Blade Runner. Is that not <laughs> is that not what a producer's job is? The boom roast. <laughs> hey. <laughs> um, but I think it's important as well. Like the cyclical ending of it was really beautiful, but it also made it digestible for the audience. Like I right. can definitely imagine that there were you might know actually if there were versions of Hades Town that just ended after the turn. Yeah. It was uh I remember reading about uh Aeneas and Rachel both talked about how they wanted to end this thing. Mm-hmm. Uh especially just tapping into that human emotion of like, yeah, life is really depressing and yet we still keep going mm-hmm. thinking it's gonna be different. Like there's still this optimism to it. And so Chafkin decided to just run with it and she went Aeneas wrote this in her book. She went full Groundhog Day. Oh, God. <laughs> and That's just, like, amazing. Re- reset, reset everything. Oh, my God. It's <laughs> Andy all Carl connected. came out. Andy, Andy Carl, Carl came out. was like, hey, he guys, like, Phil Connors. Who needs back enemas with friends like these? <laughs> this section of the podcast is dedicated to Mark at Broadway by Ghost. <laughs> 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 um, that is so funny. That yeah, that I love that. Note. That was just a cross. There were so many unintentional crossovers learning about this with the double take that uh, I loved. <laughs> that's really, really funny. Um, yeah. So it's like, I can see why they ended it Groundhog Day style, starting again from the beginning. And then the entire audience had to stay. And like the opening, the opening night crowd is still there just because mm-hmm. they keep doing the show over <laughs> and over. Like rumor it just, has it, never it stops. they're still there now. <laughs> this was a steal. <laughs> if you sing la 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 into the mirror at night three times. <laughs> Reeve Carney shows up. <laughs> Reeve Carney in a top hat shows up in your bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> Listening to Taylor Swift's uh, I Knew You Were Trouble. Honestly, I would pay money for that experience. <laughs> Have you watched the Taylor Swift I Knew You Were Trouble? Music video? No, is he in it? It's Reeve Carney. Oh my god! Because I was looking up his IMDb and I was oh like, my god. I was like, wait. And so you watch it, and he just gets beat up, and it was like this version of Hades Town is weird. I had to watch a TED talk with Julie Taymor for school, and then um, I was just doing things, and then it showed a clip from that Tempest movie, which is a vibe. <laughs> we had to watch and, that in my class too. And then I was like, oh my god, Reeve Carney is in this Tempest movie, like I. <laughs> I can't escape him. He's just following me around. Bono shows up and it's just, no. Oh, man. But uh, speaking of, speaking of Reeve Carney, actually, I can't tell you who this came from that I interviewed, but I had to ask the question of, did they make any jokes like to Reeve Carney and Patrick Page about them being in Spider-Man Turn Off the Dark? And? And? They said, they said yes. Oh, they, they they were they responded with oh all the time, <laughs> like, uh, like the first uh, they were staging one of the first numbers with Reeve, 
and they said, all right, Reeve, so here's how you're going to make your entrance. You're going to come out, you're going to jump, and you're going to do this. And then they did a <laughs> Spider-Man pose. And then Reeve got triggered and was like, oh, no. <laughs> oh, no, I'm never going to be able to escape it. Well, I mean, it had to be a traumatic experience. And I, the thing is, is I can only imagine what a different experience Hadestown was compared to Spider-Man Turn Off the Dark. Because I think Hadestown had like 30 previews mm-hmm. compared to Spider-Man's like 85 or whatever it, it was. So many, so many. Like, yeah. I remember uh, Patrick Page always had to go up to Reeve Carney and say, I just want you to know this isn't normal. <laughs> like, like, this is this, this is not how it is, dude. It really is. Um, right. I think I was in New York in 2013 and i had the chance to see either spider-man or mamma mia and i saw mamma mia cuz i was like i'm not watching that awful spider-man musical and i really regret it <laughs> i remember walking by i walked by it and i i was on a debate trip and i was like i really want to see this just I because was i like, remember entertainment absolutely was... not no no thank you knowing my luck i would have gone when everything went right mm-hmm. like a bummer would have been more fun if that wasn't the case. But I think it's important, too, that it ended on a happy ending because sort of what we talk about in the video is that, you know, Town also needed to be commercially viable. It could have been this very beautiful, like, artsy piece that didn't make it on Broadway. But for it to be on Broadway, it needed to be more commercially viable. So I think sort of as we talk about other things as well that will become more interesting. I'm a big fan of spring awakening as you know oh, i um, love spring awakening and spring awakening has that same like it reminded me of that in that regard because spring awakening the play is more depressing than the musical by a long shot um and it ends and a lot sadder than the musical does and like i would say right. that the musical ends in a sad way but it, they made it happier because it needed to be commercially viable so i think Right. It's another interesting angle to explore that the lines that these like Broadway shows kind of have to teeter around between like we want to make an important impact, but also like it can't be a super bummer because it does need to be produced for people to like I need to be message. willing to go back. I need to be willing to go back and watch it again <laughs> and watch it and watch it again. Right. And like kind of right. like I was saying with Hades Town earlier, like Spring Awakening is one of my favorite shows to see. Like I don't like any if there's any size theater like within driving distance of me doing Spring Awakening. I'm like, oh, I want to go see it because I just like to know how people how different directors and different actors and different designers stage a show that everybody has seen before so i'm right. i'm i'm very excited about the future of hades town to see to see where it goes all right my friend we could do this forever and we have and we will continue to but we'll cut off this episode now um, I'm super duper interested to hear if other people have guesses for what we're going to cover in season three of Wait in the Wings. Also, if there's other shows that you would label under the Broadway Renaissance that you would like to hear us talk about, uh, we would love to hear it. We're on Twitter at Too Much Expo. That's the number two, Too Much Expo. Because <laughs> we're edgy. Because <laughs> we're edgy. It's totally not because everything else on Twitter was taken. <laughs> <laughs> Brendan, where can the people find you on the internet? Yeah, you can also follow the main channel at Wait Wings on Twitter. And if you haven't yet, if you if you just found yourself here and you're like, oh, okay, this sounds like it actually might be up my alley, then come on over to Wait in the Wings on YouTube. We make new documentaries once a month, 
and we'll we'll cover all the behind the scenes stuff that we didn't talk about here. You can find me at Gabriella Dazed. It's a play on word. It's Gabriella with one L and Dazed with a Z. Do you get it? He's just looking at me. He's like, it's not that funny. Move on, lady. But until next time. <laughs> until next time, remember to live truthfully in those imaginary circumstances. And Chester sends his love. We are not ending the podcast that way. <laughs> Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theater Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theater professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.